Cell is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products in the UK and Ireland. As always, please do not hesitate to get in touch to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable account specialists, as and when required. We are all from a radiotherapy background and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and workflows of all of our products. Please go to our website at www.osl.uk.com or if you would like to speak to us, please call 01743 462 694. Hi, my name's Laura and I work at Convensis as a Partnerships Manager. Join us at the NHS Oncology Conference on the 6th of June 2023 in Manchester. We will open the debate on how the NHS is planning to lean on new models of delivery and innovation to help manage the current treatment backlogs and improve outcomes on a national scale. All tickets are free for the NHS to attend. To register for your free ticket, visit convensis.co.uk. Hello everyone and welcome to Rab Chat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 90. My name's Joe McNamara and I'm joined by my fellow host, Naman Jolka Anderson. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, Leanne Patrick, who talked about her role as a nurse in gender-based violence. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So I'm really pleased to introduce our guest, Claire Hutton, who's going to be discussing her role as a radiotherapy manager, her career and the future in radiotherapy. So welcome, Claire. Really pleased to have you on. Thank you. Our first radiotherapy manager. (laughs) So you're shining the torch for everyone. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your role? Yeah, well, I, um, I started training in 97 um, up at Leeds University. So that's where the um, training was then. And I actually trained in Hull, where I work now. Um, so I spent three years there. And then when I first uh, qualified, I moved down to Mount Vernon for a few months, but then soon moved back up to Hull because I've met my now husband then. And we settled up here. Um, so yeah, I came back at the end of uh, 2000 and then from there I progressed through um, the levels in, in the department um, I had interest in IMIT you know I led on that when we first implemented that and BRACI um, and I got into what we would have called a senior two back then uh, after about 18 months and then at the end of 2004 I became a senior one probably the equivalent of what we would call a team leader now on um, in our department on, on the Linux. Um, so I did that for a fair few years. Um, like I said, I led with Bracky. We did a move from our site that was in East Hull across to Castle Hill Hospital. Um, so I led with that with the Bracky uh, service. And then uh, a few years later, uh, in 2012, I got the operational lead uh, role. So that was my first move into more of the managerial side. Um, and I thought I'd be in that role for quite a while, really. Um, but my boss went on secondment for six months and I sort of naturally just progressed into uh, that role and, um, and then she didn't come back. <laughs> um, so it was, it was quite a big, steep learning curve at, at the time, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then I acted up as an interim role. And then um, a couple of years after that, um, it would have been about 2014 I got the radiotherapy manager's role um so yeah so it was quite a big learning curve at the end there and uh, continued uh, over the last 10 years to be a learning curve as well had you always wanted to go into management um 
I don't know. I don't know really. At that time, we didn't have consultant practice. Um, I had various interests in, you know, in different treatment delivery was more of my side of things instead of pre-treatment or planning. Um, but I did enjoy the leadership on the treatment machines and managing the team and the organisation. So I think it was probably more my natural way to go into that that side of the um, profession. Do you miss the clinical element? Uh, Yes, yes and no. It's it's really strange. I think you, you, the patient is always at the centre of of what you do, whether you're patient facing each day or you're sat in the office around the corner. Um, I I am clinical. I can do some clinical things. When COVID hit, I did get competent again in in a couple of uh, treatment techniques, and I really, really enjoyed that. Actually, going back to do that, and I have maintained that competence if I'm ever needed. I will go back out on set, but I think I probably slow them down more than anything. Um, but no, I do. I I would deal with patients in a, in a different way if they need, you know, if they want to, um, you know, if you know you do have a complaint or, you know, not most of the time it's really nice things and positive feedback, and they want to come and tell you how wonderful the team are. Um, so that's when I do get involved with the patients. But I would see that my job's still very much patient heavy, just because I don't see them day in day out. That's it's such a change of like what you've seen throughout you know from qualifying um to obviously now obviously the implementation of i'm going to try and get the acronym right intensity modulated radiotherapy imrt that must have been a huge change to workflow when it first came in yeah yes it, it was and we were uh, we were one of the, the first centers to actually get up and running with imrt um and our physicists actually did a lot of the mentorship support um, I actually got the opportunity to go across to um, San Francisco to Palo Alto and see some of the um, IMIT practice over there so I could learn and, and bring back here and I did that as part of part of that role um, but yeah it was, it was quite quite a big change and it was quite nerve-wracking I suppose at first when you first switched on with it and it delivered in, in such a different way um, and then obviously over the years we slowly implemented it across all sites and the majority of our treatments now are IMIT I know it sounds silly, Claire, but for anyone who doesn't know what a radiotherapy manager is, what is it that you do on a day-to-day basis? What does what does your day look like? Um, well, sometimes you can go in, and then the day you planned isn't the day it ends up being, um, which happens quite quite a lot. Um, so it's very much the strategic direction of the service, um, and currently the key challenges I would say are workforce and capacity um, and I think that's that's not just us alone after that, that's obviously a national problem um, so it's, it's also about managing cancer waiting times and with the clinicians and the physicists setting that clinical strategy about where we're going in the future and what equipment we need as well um, so a lot of it is writing business cases or um, job descriptions and just planning that service about the, you know how we're going to give the best possible patient care. There's also elements of contracting, um, the conversation with NHS England about what activity you're going to do um, and planning that year on year and trying to predict how many patients you're going to have um, and what, what type of treatments you're going to deliver. Why did you pick therapeutic radiography if I take you all the way back even before IMRT? Well, it's it's quite funny, but I think there was about 12 of us on my course. Um, and I think there was probably only two or three of us that actually wanted to be a therapeutic radiographer. Um, and I, I, it was actually in our careers library at school, which is probably quite unusual, really, for the late 
late nineties. Um, and then I had originally wanted to be a nurse and, and thought about that. And I'd also thought about diagnostic radiography. Um, I think I wanted something more, more technical, but with the therapeutic radiography side, you could have build that rapport with the patient. Um, instead of just usually seeing them on one occasion, I felt that that therapeutic radiography would be more of my, more of my interest of being able to develop that rapport with the patient throughout their course of treatment and, and delivering that, that care. What advice would you give to anyone who maybe did have aspirations to be a manager? I have to say, having the students, I would often talk to them about kind of aspirations for the future and career goals. And I have started to see some students say, oh, actually, I do have aspirations to be a manager. Whereas, you know, when I first qualified, nobody wanted that job. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's just interesting how actually people are aspiring to enter those roles. What advice would you give? Ooh, um, I think you need to have that clinical background and that, you know, having underpinning all that knowledge and having that experience and knowing the job inside out first. I think you definitely need to do that. And developing through in terms of academically, you need to look at what leadership and management um, courses or qualifications you will need. Um, I know there's lots of things within organisations now that um, we do something called insights and learning very much about um, yourself and how you, you behave and how you can bring that into your management and leadership skills. Um, but yeah, I would definitely focus on that clinical element first. So you understand the service, and then look at how you can progress through. But obviously, leadership and management can come at any time throughout your, you know, your profession. It was within the four core domains. Um, but certainly, I would advise you to speak to your, your current managers and see what your trust can um, offer, and then what other. Um, academic side of things you can uh, explore the nhs leadership academy has got some really really good um courses and some of them are um you know you can do in your own time as well um, what would you say claire then to someone who maybe is in a management role who isn't a therapeutic radiographer do you think like do you, you know because you said having that underpinning real knowledge of what the role is mm-hmm. do you think that helps by being a therapeutic radiographer and going into that management role? I think it does. It all depends on the person, though, doesn't it? And who they who they are, what clinical experience uh, they've had. Um, I think now, because we have made such huge progressions with allied health professions and being recognised and, you know, making sure that as an MDT, we do kind of share some of those roles. It's interesting how now some departments are led by managers who weren't or aren't therapeutic radiographers as long as they understand the service because they've got to be able to set that direction and um and understand where where radiotherapy needs to go in the future it's the leadership management skills that you've got to be able to take that forward is the most important thing you've talked about obviously leadership and management and it sounds like in your opinion they integrate together what what do they mean to you individually Mm -hmm. to leadership or management because you get some people who are managers, whereas some people who are leaders, and you're talking about them both. I think you need to have a balance, and it all depends on the situation that you're actually dealing with at that time. Um, it's about set, leadership for me is about setting an example and how you want your team to work around you and deliver that patient care, um, and involving the team. Um, 
with that as well. We have um, specific roles within our senior team who have you know key areas that they would would focus on, and it's about bringing them in and helping them develop the service. And in terms of managerially, there's some things that you have to change or do for the benefit of the um, the service or, or the organisation, and it can be really difficult. Um, I don't know, something like an organisational change. Uh, we're just about to go through changing our hours to do four long days, one day off, where traditionally we've done two split shifts. So there's things like that that uh, I would see as more management and making that change. Uh, leadership is more about how you act yourself and wanting to make sure that your your team are giving that their best possible care but um leading from the front i suppose do you think leadership can be taught um i think people have different everyone has different skills and i was talking about that the insights training that we we've done um, in our organization and we've done it as individuals and part of teams and it's knowing that everybody has some qualities to bring and whatever section you naturally fall into all sections are good and and actually it's having that variety of uh, skills that can then um, lead, uh, lead, lead the service. Um, I think leadership comes with experience as well. Um, it might also depend on how you have felt within a, within a team and how you've been led. So Claire, in terms of kind of your overall career, but specifically focusing on, on when you've entered your management role what have been the highlights for you I think for me in the very beginning when I was in that interim phase um I was was very very new to that sort of management and being exposed to things sort of wider trust things as well so I had to learn very quickly uh and in the beginning I started uh, a new MSc I'd already done red therapy oncology up to diploma level um but I'd started a management leadership MSc um, at Leeds Uni so I was doing that with two very young children and trying to prove myself in a job so personally I think getting through that and achieving that that was that was really good but in terms of my team and our service um, bringing in um, the specialist roles so people could have um, a, a, somewhere to aspire to and show that development plan so we've got an IGRT lead an IMT lead we've now got consultant radiographers um, so bringing that in, I did that within an organisational change. Um, and that was good and that would have been really positive for the department. And then the more junior member staff, they can see where they can develop to and then um, also work alongside those people to uh, learn their skills. And then more recently, so it was last year, I think that's probably one of the proudest moments, is our um, CT localisation department uh, became accredited with UCAS under the BS 70,000 Accreditation, physics, it's a physics thing, really, and they, they got accredited first, um, but they thought that we were in a really, really good position to be able to follow that, so we've done that within CT. So that was during COVID, it's quite a, an intensive audit compared to the when BSI come in for certification, um, and the team did really, really well, um, and we've tried to um, mirror that across treatment delivery now as well. Um, everyone was really on board, and it, it was a difficult and because there's technical assessors within that audit to get that accreditation it's people are, know the job <laughs> they, they do the job in their own department um so it, 
it's, it's quite intense. But yeah, the, the team did really well. They're they're actually in at the minute looking um doing our audit at the moment, and we're, we're doing okay. So um, I think that that was one of the proudest moments for the team. Really, really nice to hear, and it's nice, obviously, the recognition from your level in management to know how the teams pulled together in those times to bring all of those accreditations. Just to unpick those, because. I think, you know, in every job description, it always tell you that the department is accredited by all these letters and numbers. What does a department need to be clinically functioning? So within within the service specification, we need to be certificated under ISO 9001. Uh, so we've got that, um, but this sort of takes it a step forward and it's UCAS accreditation. So the difference is certification, they will come and check that you are doing what you say you're doing in your quality management system. But the accreditation checks your quality system, but also we have technical assessors. So we have a therapeutic radiographer who comes in or we've got a physicist that comes in um, and they will actually question why are you doing it like this? Um, and when, when they're observing people in their, in their areas. So that's where it's a bit more intense. And obviously you have the CQC coming in every now and then. Mm-hmm. Yes, we had, yeah, we had our CQC um, um, inspection back in June. Um, I think having the UCAS team come in, um, that that felt quite quite. Sorry, having the UCAS team come in um, and experiencing that intense sort of audit when the CQC came in, everybody felt quite ready. And we've always been very open with everyone. You know, just if you ask a question or ask a question, just answer it honestly. Um, and that we've always had really good feedback from any auditors that we've had. Our team are really open to questions and happy to show and uh, and demonstrate our our processes. So I think it's about how you sell it to the team as well to make sure they feel relaxed before um, we get external auditors in because um, we do it internally all the time as well. We also get a lot of the team to be internal auditors so then they know what it's like from the other side. I suppose for any patients listening, they'll probably be worrying about the current climate with safety levels, strikes, everything. I don't want to be too controversial and put you on the spot, obviously, but I think there are patients who reach out to us and say, well, my scan's been delayed, so my radiotherapy's going to be delayed. How do you manage, I don't know, the expectations of a workforce, the people above you in the directorate and also patient care? This has been the most challenging year for me uh, for this, and we... Um, we had to put in um, a priority plan for our patients um, and enact our business continuity plan um, in March, the beginning of March 22. Um, and it's it's not just been uh, the, radio, the therapeutic radiography workforce, it's also been within our radiotherapy physics workforce as well. So it's been really, really difficult. And um, we've had to categorise patients before they come in. Um, and then we have, I do a weekly report about where we are in terms of our cancer waiting times. Um, we've uh, reached out for mutual aid um, and a, a centre nearby is about to start helping us. Um, and it's about managing the expectations of, of the patients and our clinicians and our consultant radiographers have been really good and helping us do that. Um, but the reason we had to do it last March was because we'd had quite lost quite a few members of the staff in, in the therapeutic radiography team um, and leaving for a variety of reasons. And we got to a point where I had to do something or we, we had to do something because there wasn't enough staff to staff all in some mornings when we came in. Um, 
and actually we need to keep them safe to be able to keep the patients safe as well so it has been really really difficult um but it's about being open and honest with the patients and so they you know you set that expectation from their outpatient um, appointment um and we have a priority uh, mdt within radiotherapy once a week if there's any patients that need to be expedited um from what their their category would be um things are turning around a little bit now we've done lots of international recruitment and we've uh, just recruited a few of our surgeons who are soon well, in the, well, soon to be qualifying in the summer um, and we've started to increase our capacity now within the Lenax as well so we are seeing an improvement but it has been really really difficult but it's like you said before about it escalating it up through um the organization it's you know managing that message and it's really difficult to explain a very complex service to non-clinical people but i've been really lucky to have lots of support uh, with our, our senior uh, managers um, and then i go to a, a trust uh, performance uh, meeting once a month as well just so that all the other tumor site um, managers have opportunity to ask me questions directly um, about how we're progressing and what we're doing um, and then you know when we're going to start to see some improvements so hopefully in the next six to 12 months we'll be back to our normal excellent um sorry hopefully in the next 12 months we'll be back to our excellent uh, performance because we we would achieve in you know the 17 days for category one patients we were achieving 31 days we were doing really well um so it's been really difficult for all the, all of the team um but we needed to protect our staff because if we didn't protect them we wouldn't have you know people to look after our patients and as a manager Claire, you have, I assume, the contacts around the country with other managers to kind of support each other. Is this something that you've seen nationally in terms of kind of centres having workforce issues? Absolutely. Um, and if we didn't have that peer support, I don't know where we would be. The, all the managers are, are really, really supportive of each other. Um, and we obviously talk within our ODNs and we talk a bit further afield, like all the Sheffield Hallam manager, all the managers um, from Sheffield Hallam sites, where we all uh, uh, speak regularly. Um, and it is an issue everywhere. And it's an issue sometimes it's in the medic um, workforce or it's in the radiotherapy physics workforce. It's in all three um, professions. Um, and it seems to be that some centres are struggling more with one professional group than another. A few years ago, we were really struggling with our clinical oncologists, and now we've got quite a few more, and they're doing really well. It's now ours and uh, the radiotherapy physics team. So I think it's just you need to have that peer support with the other managers, and workforce is the key factor, I think, for everybody at the moment. Join us, RadChat, at Oncology Professional Care, an award-winning event for the whole oncology community, returning to the Excel Centre in London on 23rd to 24th May 2023, a multidisciplinary and multi-professional event which breaks people out of their professional silos by delivering free CPD certified education for all healthcare professionals working in oncology. Joe and I are excited to have steered and influenced the programme as part of the advisory board with support from key organisations such as NHS England, Macmillan Cancer Support, Bopper and more. There are over 130 plus sessions of carefully curated content focused on the whole patient pathway across five dedicated theatres. 
keynote speakers, living with and beyond cancer, early diagnosis and screening, clinical excellence in surgery and therapeutics, and advanced cancer treatments. There are many reasons to attend, such as discovering cutting-edge developments in cancer treatment, understanding how genomics and personalised medicine can become part of the bigger treatment options, make sense of an evolving policy landscape direct from the National Cancer Team at NHS England with keynote address from Dame Callie Palmer. Gain insight into what's happening in early diagnosis and screening to improve early detection of cancers with sessions on fit tests, HPV vaccination and targeted lung health checks. There are some specific focused clinical sessions for 2023 on head and neck cancers, blood cancers, breast cancer and bowel cancer. One of our favourite aspects from RadChat is that you'll be able to hear inspiring patient stories along with their real life experiences of living with and beyond cancer. If that isn't enough, you can join the hands-on hub and enjoy interactive, practical sessions to bolster your technical skills, as well as visiting the pod box with us here at RadChat. Visit the event website to find out more, and we look forward to seeing you on the 23rd, 24th of May, 2023 at London Excel Centre. Claire, you mentioned international recruitment. Can you talk us through as a manager how important that's been for you and your service? Well, when we were going out to advert. Um, we weren't getting any any UK-based um, reg offers applying. Um, or we were getting maybe some people applying that hadn't worked clinically but had been qualified for a few years. Um, so we, we, we advertised the NHS jobs and we didn't go through any agencies or anything like that. And uh, we interviewed and uh, we, we had some successful um, people. With, I think we must have about 12 12. 13 nearly international recruits um, who have started over the last 18 months to two years now um, and two of them in our senior grade already um, so we've had quite a varied experience everyone is absolutely lovely but it's um, it must be so daunting for them to be able to move away from home and some of them have moved before move, their families have moved here as well um, and what we have found is um, their ex- experience varied depending on the, their centres and what their centres allowed them to do have been quite different. Um, so actually inducting them has taken a bit longer, understandably. And getting used to working in the NHS and our, and our, and our different ways of working. Um, but everyone's doing really well and they've been a really positive, um, um, we've been really positive um really positive um, contribution to our, 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 our um, service um, and then now people they're moving their families over and getting settled patients at Christmas I think someone had a, a Christmas jumper knitted for him and um, the patients have given some lovely feedback as well um, for my international recruits. That's really great to hear obviously without getting too political the current narrative of the government is to not rely on international workforce for the NHS so but it's crucial I think without many many people from abroad we wouldn't really have a service in some places absolutely we well, we, we wouldn't we, we wouldn't be able to be opening up our capacity again without having international recruits um, we, we had a few of the um, students from last year but that still wouldn't have been enough to be able to get back to our normal operational hours um, we we need to train more here, don't we? I know we've got the apprentices, and um, we've just our 
uh, two in year um we've got two gone into year two and then we've got two we've got uh, just started with us but we need more people like that especially if we want to continue with the consultant practice and people developing um or going up into management or anything like that we need to make sure that we've we are training more more staff you mentioned Claire around change of working hours and it's something I've definitely seen across all of healthcare is how services are evolving for ensuring that people have more of a work-life balance and mm-hmm. um, how's it been received in terms of kind of changing some of the the working patterns and do you think that might help with retention of staff well the, the way the reason we've done that is um because we traditionally still part of the part of the department's traditionally still do a split shift um some of the exit interview um feedback that we did with people that have left over last year is for work-life balance um some people used to commute to Hull um so that that was one reason and obviously fuel costs but also people that live locally they wanted that work-life balance as well so that's why we decided that actually to retain people and not have that attrition is to look at our establishment and how many staff we need to be able to do four long days one day off um and that that's what we're doing and by the time we get to our third year starting with us we will be at the right number of people so we've got any new starts is uh starting on that contract and then actually we've had people come and ask us can i move across to the long days so that's what we're gradually doing now um, and, move, and then we will do a, a formal organisational change um, just for completeness. Um, we started lot, with lots of informal com- conversations in the beginning um, to make people aware that's the direction we were going in. Um, but as I say, the majority of people are requesting it now. That's a good example, again, of feedback to you, noticing what needs to be done and filtering a positive change. I think management... Mm-hmm often make lots of different decisions and choices and changes and people don't necessarily see the good ones we always seem to focus on when something hasn't gone right and we'll go straight to the top to blame people but it's, it's just good to hear um especially at the moment because i think managers you are shut away you might not be on the floor but you do a lot more than we think we do no it is it's hard it's hard to sell to people isn't it when especially when you're running in an out of or in and out of ct all day and you, you probably think oh, what are they doing sat in their office around there um but I was saying it, it, it's a lot of it, especially with the workforce, has been a key thing for me. It's making sure I send those messages and explain, up in, you know, higher in the organisation to why uh, why we need we need more in the establishment to be able to do this. Because actually, I've got all the evidence of why people have left. Um, and it's yeah, it's you, you do need, need to listen to your team. Um, and my seniors. Do engagement sessions about various if we've just been talking about on call and how many people travel on call um so we get them to lead a lot of the sessions to for staff to come and um engage with them and you know discuss how they want their service to look with that engagement side then claire obviously if you have a or you or one of the senior team have an idea so let's say advanced practice or advanced clinical practice how does that disseminate into a project and filter down to like the students or the new starters uh, well, we have, um, I actually chair our service development uh, meeting, which will then we feed that down to an, our senior teams. And as I was saying before, I have a, an IMIT lead, I have an IGRT lead, um, I've got a patient information lead who's actually a CNF, but a nurse, but she's part of our, our senior team. Um, 
education lead and the research lead and they they are starting to build teams around them people that are interested in those elements of, of practice um and we're always inviting people to be and get you know if there's a project happening would you like to be involved and we very much wait for volunteers to come forward um and we don't restrict that we you know that's open to everybody to to be involved whether you're just qualified or um been been working quite a while Claire, as a manager, and you may not want to answer this question, I could imagine you're on a WhatsApp group with all your other radiotherapy managers. What is the thing that really gripes you? Like, what is it that you will go, oh, you'll never guess what's happened again? Is it workforce or is there anything else that kind of just just really frustrates managers? Because I would imagine there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of challenges with being in management but is there anything specific that you think if they could just sort this out make our, our lives as managers easier probably having all the money to be able to do anything we want it would that'd be the easiest thing i think getting equipment that you need is a real challenge workforce obviously that we've spoken about a lot um but it's getting that equipment for you stand the standard of care that you want to deliver now we really want sgrt um, we've got a Linux that's over 10 years old we need to be replacing that um, and it's trying to keep up with practice as it develops because you want to give your patients the best possible care um, but then that the trust need to balance that with you know all the other services they need to provide and all you know there's lots of areas with um, are capital heavy and, and need equipment to buy so I, I think especially for me I think it's workforce and then having the, the right kit so you've obviously talked about how you know we are struggling it'd be lovely to have a massive blank check someone come and deliver it to you and say yep here you go but everyone in the, the hospital is struggling with workforce as well how do you find having going to some of the senior directorate meetings how much of a voice does radiotherapy have because i know from experience through covid there was a bit of up and down with our visibility and what was important for radiotherapy and to our cancer patients. So, for example, blanket do not resuscitate orders for cancer patients during COVID. There was that in kind of a bit of disparity of care across the country. But how is it now at the moment? Um, well, I think I just keep banging the drum, really. <laughs> keep talking. Like I said before, I've got very uh, supportive senior managers within, uh, we call them the health group directorate. Um, I also our um, chief operating officer is also the chair of our radio therapy network, um, so we have access to her. And then also uh, one of our deputy crews, I've worked with her quite a lot. Um, she she leads an elective recovery, um, and also with our cancer manager as well. So I will go to cancer operation groups uh, meeting and talk about the radio therapy issues and challenges. Um, it's just about being it's just about being open and honest really about what radiotherapy you know and the challenges we have within radiotherapy um it's not I suppose it's not great that it's talking about the challenges and you know we do try and sell the positives as well um but i, I do feel that especially over the last year with all our, our big challenges that we have been listened to so i hope i have radiotherapy on, on that um on that map and getting everyone involved even like with ahp day back in october and making sure that we get on social media and uh, one of our seniors um, he uh, leads our twitter page as well so just making sure that we get that out there as, as much as possible really what do you wish as a manager 
that people got to see. So you said sometimes you're behind a closed door. What do you wish they got to see you doing to appreciate maybe your role and what you do? Um, I think you hit the nail on the head before, Joe, about red tape. It always takes time to get things through. And you can write uh, a paper um, or a business, you know, a business case and then you get some feedback and you think, oh, thought I've got it that time and then you have to revise it and and then it goes through the meeting structures again Um, so things always do take time I think I wish things would go through quicker Um, but like I said before it's that balance with all the other services within in in the either your division your small part or the wider trust Um, but I think that's something people don't always see it's not you know this idea be great and we take it forward but it's not going to be next week next month it'll be you know maybe six months 12 months down the line um i'm always i always hope what well, i hope i feel for my team feel i'm open and honest with them about you know we, we're aspiring to get sgrt we want to do this we want to do that and you know i don't want to get the hopes up that it's happening straight away but you know i always say to them i'm i'm talking you know months years down the line you know down the line but this is what we want to do um but yeah i think i think probably that red tape is one of the frustrating things and things that people don't see. I suppose with budgets and stuff, Claire, when, um, so patients, I think whenever I explain to them how I've got into an on-treatment review role, they would say, oh, did you have to do any extra studies? Just for any of our, maybe even international colleagues who are listening and patients, how do you as a manager get funding for people to do further study and development? We do have a, a small part of funding within the budget for uh, training um, things, but also there is some funding uh, that goes into a central uh, a pot within the organisation for AHPs. And then if we want, we do or we we did a learning needs analysis um, at the end of last year about you know potential uh, modules. They won't necessarily fund a full MSc, but if you put if we put forward modules or other courses forward about what you know, where we see people developing or what people or interest people have had. Um, and there's obviously all the other day courses that, that come about as well in various aspects of, the, of, of radiotherapy. Um, so we can apply for that funding too. Um, sometimes if patients have put um, funding in for, for the staff into our charitable funds, and if they have specifically said they want it to go on to, uh, for staff, then we've been able to access that as well. Claire, as a manager, what do you think is going to be the next thing in radiotherapy? What's the big advancement that you think is happening or coming? Or do you think it's not about advancing? Do you think it is about like solidifying and setting in stone a solid workforce retention and then looking at the equipment and making sure we have equipment that is for now, let alone for the future? I think the work, the workforce does have all or if this is our, is our key priority, but we're also trying to set that clinical strategy locally. An online adaptive radiotherapy is definitely, in in my opinion, where, where, where we're moving forward to. We've obviously got um, the MR Linux, um, or a couple of them in the, in the country, but lots of people, I think, are looking towards that type of delivery um, and or online adaptive with any other uh, possible platform. So I think that is sort of the next step, really. And how do we deliver that? You know, sometimes I think we might have to think out of the box. Um, do we deliver it in a multidisciplinary team? Who's you know who's going to be on set? Um, it 
you know, that isn't the next step about, you know, and looking at new roles as well and how we develop the, you know, people into those. So it all comes together, doesn't it, as, as techniques grow and then making sure the workforce grows with the techniques and then and, and the equipment too. It's such an important point. I mean, every department in the country could get a proton beam therapy, you know, gantry, but you need to train people, you need to have the space for it. It's all the other factors mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily see. So whenever people see a new role has been implemented through Macmillan, for example, um, you don't see the work that's gone behind the business case, the amount of iterations it's had, um, how long it's taken just to get that person the badge which has Macmillan in front of it. It's, it's really important, I think, to highlight that. And it's, it's interesting you said it. Claire, in terms of Hull and your amazing department, why should someone want to come and work for you? I think we're a really friendly department. I think we um, we will welcome anybody anybody to come and, and we will support people uh, to grow. I I feel like I've been very well supported and uh, only spent six months away and then came back and we've got we've got. I've just spoke about Steph Arkansas and Radio Fruits developed all the way through. So I think there's lots of opportunities. Um, lots of people still, you know don't know where Hull is and it's not it's not the end of the earth um <laughs> so there's you know it, it is a quite a nice place to live you've got the countryside and, and the beaches and then um we, we've got a city but if you want to go to a bigger city nearby Leedston just down the road or Sheffield um so I, I think you know you've you got to find where you you want to be and um and settle whether that you know inside and outside of work but actually I think we have a really great team in Hull and a really supportive team um, and that's just shown from our international groups and having apprentices and you know the different roles developing so I, yeah I, I'm very proud of our team and, and working there so I uh, I would always recommend it. So we're coming to the end Claire um, and we always finish on some top tips so we have lots of patients students healthcare professionals listening what top tips would you give to the audience i think especially for students or patients or families or carers um always ask the question there's, you know there's no daft question or silly question and it doesn't matter if you ask it more than once twice you know please ask so you understand fully you know what what your treatment's going to be about or, you know, if you're training and you don't quite grasp one aspect, just keep asking the staff or the lecturers um, because that's what they're there for, to explain. You know, we want you to have the best possible experience, whether you're a patient or training to go into the profession. Um, so, so just ask those questions. And also with other healthcare profession professionals, um, I know we're trying to do it locally, is just making sure we've always updated people's knowledge. I think... Um, one of our, uh, our consultant radiographer for uh, breast, she was chatting to some of the CNSs and realised, oh, actually, their, their, their knowledge is a bit outdated now, so she's trying to do that education. And it's the same with all the other um, disciplines that would be a part of the cancer pathway. It's making sure that they're educated and understand um, where radiotherapy is now, because obviously we're fast evolving service. But that's down to us uh, as a team that we, we need to do that. Um, but yeah, ask questions, I think, would always be my top tip. And make sure you go to, you know, reputable websites or RadChat or something like that, so you, you get the right, the right information. Ah, oh, some brilliant top tips there. 
So thank you so much, Claire, for joining us. Uh, it's been brilliant and really nice to have a manager's insight. So thank you. Um, thank you all for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been Joe McNamara and Namajoka Anderson. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with links to resources and literature that we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form podcast our next guest to feature will be natalie woodward who will be discussing her experience of cancer and living with the late effects of treatment so thank you all for listening and take care ukio conference is back june 2023 in liverpool for three days and is fully refreshed to respond to feedback from delegates to reflect the world we're living in today prices are lower than ever and start at 75 pounds to access the full congress and all content They've changed the programme to focus on specialists for the generalist and top tips content rather than highly specialised topics from previous congresses. There are more sessions on service optimisation, education and workforce. Something that we love is research and it's at the heart of the programme. There's more proffered papers, sessions to present your work, expert sessions on refining research proposals and power pitches and a dedicated research hub. If all of that isn't enough, there are themed hubs in the exhibition on service delivery clinical case studies and innovation in action, along with more hands-on and technical workshops. Industry partners have added valuable education content on their stands too. You can also check out CPD outside of the programme in case of the day activities and view posters. There are streams aimed specifically at masterclasses for trainees, making UKIO the place to come for value for money exam prep, along with sessions throughout the programme aimed at students. The programme is available to view at www.ukio.com dot org dot uk where you can also register and there are more than 100 plus sessions to choose from make sure you use the code radchat25 on the booking page and don't forget to come and check us out in our radchat pod box see you on the 5th to the 7th of june 2023 at acc in liverpool